thank you for joining us for what is the third now of podcasts that we have done in this area in relation to the deterioration work we're doing in NHS England, particularly focusing on the management of deterioration of the pregnant mother. You will, I'm sure by now, have been and listened to the previous two podcasts we've done in this area, which have had numerous listens and downloads. And we thought it'd be useful at this point to do a third podcast, really to talk more about the value of increasing standardisation and reducing unwanted variation in clinical practice in relation to uh, the maternity early warning score tool that we've been developing. And we're going to talk a little bit about the finalised design and how we've achieved that. Um, and Hannah shortly is going to sort of talk you through some of the processes that we've done to get us to that point. A little bit of an understanding of what came out of some of the testing that we've done and some of the points that have been raised from that. And we'll do some specific uh, content really around some of the changes that we've made to the tool to reflect on what came out of uh, the testing itself. We're going to give you a little bit of an update on where things are moving from a digital perspective because the speed of change in this area is very quick at the moment. So we're running out of uh, paper-based organisations very quickly and uh, talk to you a little bit about the digital world. And then a little bit about the way in which we have structured it all in relation to not just the assessment of physiology, but also how this feeds into some of those additional concerns and how that feeds into the way culture is going to be really key in underpinning how we manage the escalation processes once we've identified a problem with these women. So a few points to talk through. Done under 30 minutes, so hopefully, you've got a cup of tea, sit down, listen, and uh, we'll see where we get to. So, firstly, just to introduce those who are on the call. So, Hannah, do you want to start? Uh, thank you, Tony. Um, I'm Hannah Rutter, and some of you on the call may have um, met me in person. Um, I'm a senior improvement manager within the Maternity and Neonatal Safety Improvement Programme with a, a background as a registered midwife. Um, Louise, would you like to go next? Lovely, thank you. Um, Louise Page, I'm a consultant obstetrician in North West London uh, for half of the week and then the other half of the week I'm the Deputy Clinical Director for the Maternity Investigation Programme at the Healthcare Safety Investigation Branch. I'm going to forward the baton on to Anita. Thanks Louise. Hi everybody, I'm Anita Banerjee. I'm an obstetric physician and I work at St Thomas's Hospital with my particular interest in the deteriorating patient having reviewed the Embrace reports and chapters and a particular interest in education to understand how we can make this better. I'd like to now um, invite Becky. Thanks Anita and hi all. So my name is Becky Wilson-Crellin. I am a midwife and the clinical lead for culture and leadership within the National Maternity Transformation Programme. So keen interest in the interlinks between quality improvement and culture. Brilliant. Okay so a very useful group of people to have this conversation with. Um, so firstly, Hannah, can I come to you just to sort of update everyone as to where we've got to since we last sort of spoke about the more theoretical elements of the tool development and what we've been doing over the last sort of six to eight months? Yeah, thank you, Tony. Uh, I think that um, to sort of reference the um, content that we had, particularly in podcast two, where we were thinking about how we operationalise this tool, um, I think it's quite important for the listeners to actually hear the, the sort of really long, long journey that we've been on with this with this tool. Um, I think that, you know, as far back in the sort of you know, literature that 
we've been needing a standardised national maternity early warning score since about 2014. It started to sort of like rear rear its head um, and it's taken to this point. I mean, we're now in 2023 and we started working quite heavily on this in sort of like the summer of 2020. Um, and I think that we thought it would be as simple as like we can we can gain the sort of like academic knowledge and we can we can work out where that physiology needs to um, be set and what the tool looks like. But actually what we didn't appreciate was actually the long journey that we needed to go on to ensure that the the tool that we now have that we can go into the implementation phase with has actually been rigorously tested and um, has been 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 visualised by quite a, a, a number of healthcare professionals across England. So we've gone through a huge consensus building um, process for the escalation for the thresholds and triggers box, for instance. We've had a really good representative core stakeholder group that have been involved with us along the way, including our academics and our sort of like arm's length bodies that have really helped us shape how this tool will, will look. Um, and then we've gone through sort of two phases so far of testing. So phase one was very much about usability. So have we got the language right within the tool? Have we got the visuals right within the tools? And is there anything that we needed to tweak along the way that actually would make this from a human factors point of view much better um, within practical areas? So we've taken some of that feedback on board and have made iterations as we've gone along. And then we moved into phase two of testing where we were um, asking our colleagues out in the systems to use our tool alongside the tool that exists in their current organisation. Um, and we've actually reached, which was um, was a bit of a eureka moment, if I'm honest, when we reached sort of saturation of feedback that was being received by us um, in the Matt Neosip team, really. Um, so we've been able to take all of the feedback that we've had from all of the, all of the um, improvements or phases that we've had and have been able to feel quite confident that the tool we have now is as the best that we're going to be able to get for a paper based um, organisation. So we've made iterations to the sort of how the layout is. We've just made sure that the, the tool that we have is the best tool that we could possibly have come up with um, as a really, really large representative stakeholder group. Fab. And I think so that's hopefully reassuring for everyone to hear. And certainly when we socialise this at network events over the last six months i think people have been surprised to hear of the rigorous nature which we've taken the tool through from a testing perspective as an aside there is going to be uh, a paper published we're hoping in bmj quality and safety relatively soon which will sort of outline the processes that the development has taken um, so people will be able to refer back to that but i suppose that brings us to the first point which is what are the advantages of having a single tool which is now what we're going to be having we we're not going to have 40 different tools with a range of different physiological components included with a range of different reference ranges with them. And I suppose, Lou, if I can come to you first, just to think from your experience within HSIB, where do you see the advantage of having that consistent approach to the way that we manage the identification of deterioration? What do you think, that, how do you think that's going to add value? Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I think standardisation and having um, an agreed approach across providers will be really helpful. We certainly see from um, our experience that staff, um, especially thinking maybe about um, doctors in training, that they'll be rotating through different uh, units and they might go to the next neighbouring unit and it's a completely different uh, muse chart that they're using currently in a different system of escalation. So I think that will really help. And I think it really helps to um, 
take away some of the we want to try and make things easy for people and um and if um uh, the person doing the escalation, I guess most commonly it might be uh, a midwife working uh, clinically that's needing to escalate um, concerns about the woman that they're caring for, that actually having not to think about what's the escalation in their unit and that there's a standardised approach that's going to be the same up and down the country as to um, how um, that identification and escalation for, for additional help is made. So I think there's, we see it in other areas of healthcare, don't we, that having that standardisation helps to um, really improve the quality of care that's um, provided. So I think that we'll see lots of benefits from from this tool. And Anita, maybe sort of turning to you a bit, thinking about your experience um, as an obstetric physician, but also, you know, looking at it maybe from the other end of this, when we when we think about some of the findings of Embrace, have we... Have we got good examples about where the downside of lack of standardisation has had an impact on patient care? Thanks, Tony, for that question. And I think it's a really important aspect. So let me think about the themes that we have come across for the past 10 years. And so regarding deteriorating patient, it's getting it back to basics. Has the blood pressure been measured? Has the heart rate been measured? And what this specific MUSE tool shows you is that getting those basics right and measuring them is important. But it's more than that, Tony. It's also about standardising it everywhere, but then communicating it. And why do we think the communication is important? Because this is where it's not just the number, it's the fact of how do you how does a midwife talk to a doctor or how does somebody in A&E talk to midwifery or the obstet obstetrician? It's that culture, it's that actual ability and permission, I believe, that this MUSE chart will give to enable things to actually improve long term. OK, so I, I think that brings together a number of points that maybe we, we can sort of wrap this into uh, uh, the next piece of this discussion. One of the one of the criticisms that we've had when we've talked about this and people have looked at the parameters that we have in the tool and one of the criticisms have been that they feel some of the thresholds between normal, abnormal or very abnormal look different and in some ways lower than they were expecting. And one of the pushbacks that we've had from, from us as a team has been saying a number of the tools that are out there at the moment have higher levels for the physiology for the abnormal based very much around treatment thresholds and one of the things that we're trying to do from a mindset point of view is focus on the word early so this is an early warning score tool not a late warning score tool so what we're trying to do is get early enough in the process of deterioration to therefore identify a problem and actually cause some kind of remedy that would allow us to, to do that earlier and quicker and prevent further deterioration but that requires cultural shift you know it's going to require a different a, a different approach and a level of trust that we've got to sort of build into that those conversations which i think for me feels critical and you've i think made the point very well anita and lou's already sort of emphasizing why that sort of thing would be important but beck coming to you thinking about how do you think we can start to influence the way that we change the culture that sits behind this conversation so we identify things better but what do you think some of the barriers might be to how we shift those cultures and any approaches that certainly i'm hoping that you can talk about some of the approaches we're using in the program that will support that yeah thanks tony so um for those of you that that aren't familiar with what we're doing as a national team at the moment we are um we we are leading a, a 
perinatal, so maternity and neonatal um, culture and leadership programme. And, and this is an England wide, so a, a nationwide programme that will work with senior leaders at every single maternity and neonatal site in England. So all maternity and neonatal sites will be invited to participate. And we know that NHS leaders play a key role in creating the right cultures um, the right conditions and cultures for quality improvement. Leaders need to engage with staff. They need to empower frontline teams to develop their own solutions. And they really need to ensure that there's an appropriate infrastructure in place in order to support staff and spread the learning. And so as part of the programme aimed at NHS leaders and our senior perinatal leaders, that is one of the things that we're going to be exploring. So part of the programme will involve all of the maternity and neonatal sites in England, understanding what their own culture is, you know, really getting a sense of how it feels to work there. And part of that is, is their change readiness, their kind of their, their improvement readiness, you know, are these teams open to change? Um, and if they're not, what is what are the barriers? So really having an understanding and the local teams having an understanding of what their local challenges and barriers are is the first step. The aim of the programme or part of the outputs of the programme will be to support teams then with their local findings and link it in with improvement work that is currently planned. So the next point I was going to come on to relates to the way in which the additional concerns that we've got on the tool are going to change the way in which we approach conversations within teams about escalation and deterioration. And to give you an example of why I think this is important, so went to review a woman on uh, a ward the other day as part of the ward round we were doing with the team and one of the nursing staff on the ward this was a non-pregnant woman uh, presented the fact that this woman had a news score of six uh, and the registrar I was working with immediately wanted to unpick the score with the nurse who was presenting that to them and, and under trying and basically what they were trying to do was to to break down and sort of unpick the score to the point that they could de-escalate it in their head and one of the things I said to them on the ward round was well, why don't we just take actually this woman has a, a news of six that means she's sick she requires us to go and have a look at her let's just go and do that but what I, I suppose I wanted to ask Lou first is how do you think do you think this is something that we how do we tackle that as an issue this sort of trying to unpick what we're hearing and particularly with reference to the new tool where these additional concerns are there that actually if me or you know Beck or Hannah was concerned about somebody, they can raise regardless, raise concerns and ask for escalation regardless of whether the physiology is abnormal or not. And do you think that's going to support better care or is going to create potential problems? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think it ties in to a lot of the work that we um, uh, do at HM about trying to continually talk about a holistic review. And um, it's not about looking at you know, in the context of the interpartum care, not just about looking at the CTG, for example, but looking at the whole progress in labour, the whole of that woman and where she is in, in, in that journey at that point in time. And I think this is where these additional concerns come into that, because it's beyond looking at purely the parameters that we get when we put the uh, blood pressure cuff on and looking at the wider picture. And there may be things that we, we absolutely know that that that. Um, women generally embark upon pregnancy as, as fit human beings and that they may cope their physiology may not change until um until later in in their pathway of deterioration and so actually having a healthcare professional concerns is something that's flagged 
um, that increased pain or, or changes in the um, urine output, for example, um, that haven't yet triggered uh, changes in the physiology, but they're really important things that we need to consider. And nothing can ever replace that holistic review um, beyond just looking at, at numbers. So I think it's going to be really helpful. Um, and I think it also gives um, healthcare professionals that, you know, that have that kind of sometimes that bit of a sixth sense that something's not quite right, but they can't quite put their finger on it. It's, it then allows there to be a process for, for that escalation of those concerns um, rather than it just being purely about, as I say, what the blood pressure or the pulse is. So, Beck, if we can come to you then, just reflecting on some of your thoughts on maybe in this particular area with this sense that we're changing the nature of these conversations. They're going to be less transactional. Some of it, as you, as Lou was saying, is reflecting clinical acumen, concerns that might not be reflected in physiology. We're going to try and avoid unpicking scores, which we've got good evidence that people try and do in the literature. And the reverse being sometimes the people who are referring will be gaming the score to try and gain the likelihood of escalation and, and, and review happening. A few points just as, as we sort of move into the sort of the tail end of this. One of the things I just wanted to bring um, Anita in on, if possible, this tool was originally designed and the ambition of this tool is that it will follow the woman wherever she's being cared for in any hospital setting. And I know from experience and reading through Embrace reports particularly, we know that we fall down when um, women, pregnant women particularly, are cared for in non-maternity spaces. What do you think some of the challenges we're going to face around using and rolling this tool out for use in, in non-maternity spaces as we move into the next phase of implementation? So I wonder you could sort of highlight what you think some of those might be for us. Yeah, th thanks, Tony, for that great question, because it is important, because the horse has bolted many of the times when we look at mortality and it's the morbidity that we need to deal with. So the different settings in the hospital is, I think, a great opportunity with the national news chart. We've had news too um, for the non-pregnancy and it's rolled out. Everybody knows about it. For the muse chart, we know from it's the day of conception, okay, to four weeks postpartum, we know that postpartum is where the mortality happens in our pregnant women. So this is a great opportunity to get other settings interested. Personally, Tony, and I look at all of us, and I think this is a great opportunity to engage everybody about pregnant women. You know, the idea that this muse now will be from the day of conception helps us actually say she's special. You know, in medicine, ger geriatric special, adolescent special, let's make the pregnant woman special wherever they go. So the challenges will be is to remind them and make sure everybody knows. So it's a role specific job. Yes. So it's not that every single geriatric ward needs to know, but accident emergency, AAW, ambulance services, community, general practice and the clinic setting. So we have a great opportunity to highlight journey of the pregnant woman in any of these settings good and i think that's going to be the bit we're going to have to hold ourselves to because it's not going to be easy but i think it is an ambition that we should hang on to very much so okay there's a couple of things i think are worth highlighting before we finish um and please any of you do jump in at any point rather than me inviting you into the conversation but one of the things hannah i'm mindful of that we highlighted in the testing was how we have had to adapt the tool in the postnatal setting 
because our ambition all along was to have one tool that would take us from conception to four weeks postnatally. But as only whether you could sort of highlight some of the problems that we found and the adaptations we've made to the tool to adapt from two days postnatally onwards. Yeah, thank you for that question, Tony. I um, I think that it's really important to just remember that actually um, the, the testing that we have completed so far have been with our paper-based organisations. So what we really wanted to do is get this tool right for our paper-based organisations, because actually some of the sort of problems that we may have with sort of like alterations to postnatal pulse, for instance, will be taken care of within a digital um, within a digital system. Um, and I think that we would be quite we were quite worried about how we could adapt a, a, a Muse tool. So um, uh, for the benefit of everyone listening, we were actually at one point faced with having three totally different maternity early warning scores, which really filled us with anxiety because we all know on a busy ward environment that actually having three pieces of paper to choose from is a real patient safety concern. So we um, have gone through some further modelling with our academic colleagues at Oxford to actually work out what we did need to change if we needed to change anything. And actually, the one thing that we did need to be mindful of is that at 24 hours post birth, that the um, maternal pulse rate pretty much returns to to a normal uh, normal rate. And we did need to reflect this because we were really worried about undercalling um, those postnatal women um, for concerns for deterioration. So we went through quite a, an elongated design period for this because I think that we were really anxious that we were adding complexity to a, a, a tool. But we knew that the rationale was really quite serious as to why we needed to add another complexity to this tool. Um, and actually what we've managed to do is we have managed to get onto one one tool, the 24 hour, um, 48 hour, I do apologise, um, postnatal pulse rate. And actually that's sort of quite highlighted in a in a purple sort of background. So it does make it stand out from the rest of the tool. I think that I would really say that that's an area that we will um, be keeping a very close eye on as we move into implementation with our paper based organisations. I think that the feedback we got was really, really good for this component. I thought it was going to cause us many, many more problems than what we had. And I think that there is a real component of ensuring that this tool, the the training material that is supporting this tool is widely um, spread out because it really does go into the reasons why we need one tool, the reasons why the postnatal pulse changes um, need to happen. and I think that for many organisations as well, what we really can't forget to say here as well is that many organisations will be going from a colour escalation to a total score. So I can't um, emphasise enough the importance of the, the work that we've created with our Health Education England colleagues to actually bring a really robust training package together for our clinical colleagues so that it can actually take you through each step. And hopefully that will mitigate as we go forward into implementation, particularly that postnatal pulse. Brilliant. Thank you. And yeah, just a, another plug for the HEE package that will uh, coming on stream soon, which will give everyone the instructions they need. OK, um, so the one sort of last big elephant in the room in this space at the moment is the digital journey, which uh, some of us who are on this call have already got a few scars uh, from uh, being involved with already. Um, so just to sort of give those listening a little bit of a flavour of the problems that we face when we started this journey two years ago, 
the digital maturity across the maternity systems generally was quite low. Um, but the acceleration in that has been really quite dramatic in the last two years. So the number of organisations moving into a digital space, either partially or completely, is is significant. Um, and the number of organisations that are pure paper based is getting less and less by the week. Uh, we're currently doing our testing and rollout and implementation only in paper based organisations, and we are looking uh, to have completed some digital specifications uh, within the next uh, three months, which will then allow us to be more instructive to those organised uh, companies that are producing maternity information systems to provide this tool in the same way. And this obviously loops back to our plan of wanting to avoid unwanted variation. One of the really exciting bits in this digital space is not just thinking about moving from a paper based to a digital in the sense of moving from a paperback to a Kindle. But it, so it's not just that we'll have a digital representation of the chart. It's also that we're going to have the opportunity for decision support within those tools. So we're then going to be in the space where even if you have realised that a woman's muse, total muse score at that point in time may be five, uh, the the way that the digital space will be set up will be such that it will then be giving you instructions of the fact you need to be escalating at that point and these are the people you need to be escalating to, plus we'll then be able to track where that escalation is happening within those digital systems. So it will move us into a very different space quite quickly. And I think for us, that's going to be really exciting um, because I think it will support the decision support that we need and the clinical care that we need, but equally, it will allow us to understand whether or not we're doing this in a timely fashion, which is something that we're really struggling with within analog systems at the moment. So that's kind of the digital um, update that we've got. And we're hoping we can therefore move into a digital testing space as we go into the latter part of the year and then be able to roll out more widely into purely digital organisations as we move forward. Um, so again, that will sort of feed this process of reducing unwanted variation and increasing standardisation across the patch. Um, so look, let's just pull this to a close, thinking about some of the areas that we've talked about, both from the culture point of view at one hand, to digital on another, to the testing um, and to the use of these tools across the system. Is there anything individually? I won't put either uh, any all four of you on the spot, but is anything any of you would like to just come in on at this point, just as we round off? Yeah, can I add something, Tony? Because uh, you, as you said, I'm the obstetric physician and the physician. And if we aspire to everybody wanting to know about this, this is a great opportunity for all of you who are listening on the podcast, for every single one of your trusts to start working together. Let, let's stop working in silos and let's bring us into true multidisciplinary and interdisciplinary working. Uh, and that would be my key point from our podcast today. Lou? Yeah, I was just going to say, for me, what I've been thinking is that old adage of uh, making um, uh, the right way the easy way, you know, so this for me is about actually we're really going to support staff to actually provide safe care by having this tool and that's a really important part of it. Go ahead. Um, can I just say one final word? Um, I think we've touched on the digital um, 
um, situation and the specification. And I just wanted to message out to those who I know will be listening who do work within our digital organisations and to just promise you that we haven't forgotten you and we are working at pace to sort this solution out so that we can progress at even faster rate than we have already to get this um, standardised across England. Thank you, Tony. Beck. I, th I think I'd just say that that where you are as teams and individuals is going to be really important. And so having a real sense of where you are at is going to be vital. So engaging with the Pono to Culture Leadership Programme, really using that as an opportunity to complete the survey, get your voice heard. It is different from how it's been run previously. The support that we are offering to you and your teams and, and leadership teams after the survey is very different. So it's just a plea, please use it as your opportunity to get your voice heard because then we can absolutely support you in the best ways possible to make sure that you are ready for any change coming, including any, any quality improvement change. Shameless plug. I know. Absolutely. Got to use every opportunity. Plug. Well, thank you everyone for your time and uh, hopefully everyone's found this to be a useful update for progress that we've made and we look forward to working with you as we implement this across the country over the next uh, year to 18 months. Thanks very much. Thank you.